Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion syllabus in Lamar, Archer, and Coffrin versus Appling, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Argued April 17th, 2018. Decided June 4th, 2018. Respondent R. Scott Appling fell behind on his bills owed to petitioner law firm Lamar, Archer, and Coffrin which threatened to withdraw representation and place a lien on its work product if Appling did not pay. Appling told Lamar that he could cover the owed and future legal expenses with an expected tax return. So Lamar agreed to continue representation. However, Appling used the refund, which was, for much less than he had stated, for business expenses. When he met with Lamar again, he told the firm he was still waiting on the refund, so Lamar agreed to complete the pending litigation. Appling never paid the final invoice, so Lamar sued him and obtained a judgment. Shortly thereafter, Appling and his wife filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Lamar initiated an adversary proceeding against Appling in bankruptcy court, arguing that his debt to Lamar was non-dischargeable pursuant to 11 U.S.C. 523A2A, which bars discharge of specified debts arising from false pretenses, false representation, or actual fraud, other than a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition. Appling moved to dismiss on the ground that his alleged misrepresentations were statements respecting the debtor's financial condition, which 523A2B requires to be in writing. The bankruptcy court disagreed and denied Appling's motion. Finding that Appling knowingly made two false representations on whether Lamar justifiably relied on which Lamar justifiably relied on and that Lamar incurred damages as a result, the court concluded that Appling's debt to Lamar was non-dischargeable under 523A2A. The district court affirmed but the 11th Circuit reversed, holding that a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition may include a statement about a single asset. Because Appling's statements were not in writing, the court held 523A2B did not bar him from discharging the, his debt to Lamar. The Supreme Court held a statement about a single asset can be a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition under 523A2. The key word in the relevant statutory phrase here is the preposition respecting. In ordinary usage, respecting means concerning, about, regarding, in regard to, relating to. Lamar contends that the definitions about, concerning, with reference to and as regards denote a more limited scope to scope than related to and under that more limited meaning Lamar asserts a formal financial statement providing a detailed accounting of one's assets and liabilities would qualify as a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition but a statement about a single asset would not but the overlapping and circular definitions of these words belie the clear distinction. Lamar attempts to impose, and the firm 
gives no example of a phrase in a legal context similar to the one at issue here in which toggling between related to and about has any pertinent significance. Use of the word respecting in a legal context generally has a broadening effect, ensuring that the provision's scope covers not only its subject, but also matters relating to that subject. Plepe versus New Mexico. Indeed, this court has typically read the phrase relating to, one of respecting's meanings, expansively. Coventry Healthcare of Missouri versus Novellus. Appling and the United States as amicus curiae accordingly advance an expansive interpretation here. This court agrees with them that given the ordinary meaning of respecting, Lamar's statutory construction must be rejected for it reads respecting out of the statute. TRW Incorporated versus Andrews. Had Congress intended 523A to B to encompass only statements expressing the balance of a debtor's assets and liabilities, it could have so specified. Example, statement of the debtor's financial condition. The court also agrees that a statement is respecting a debtor's financial condition if it has a direct relation to or an impact on the debtor's overall financial status. A single asset has a direct relation to and an impact on aggregate financial condition, so a statement about that asset bears on a debtor's overall financial condition and can help indicate whether a debtor is solvent or insolvent. A statement about a single asset, thus, can be a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition. Lamar's interpretation would yield incoherent results. For instance, on Lamar's view, a misrepresentation about a single asset made in the context of a formal financial statement or balance sheet would constitute a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition and trigger 523A2B's heightened non-dischargeability requirements. But the same misrepresentation made on its own, or in the context of a list of some but not all of the debtor's assets and liabilities, would not. Lamar does not explain why Congress would draw such seemingly arbitrary distinctions. The statutory history of the phrase statement respecting the debtor's financial condition corroborates this court's reading. Between 1926, when the phrase was introduced, and 1978, when Congress enacted the Bankruptcy Code, courts of appeals consistently construed the phrase to encompass statements addressing just one or some of a debtor's assets or liabilities. When Congress used the materially same language in 523A2, it presumptively was aware of this long-standing judicial interpretation and intended for the phrase to retain its established meaning. Lamar's additional arguments are unpersuasive. First, Lamar contends that Appling's construction gives 523A2B an implausibly broad reach, such that little would be covered by 523A2A's general rule, rendering non-dischargeable debts arising from false pretenses a false representation or actual fraud. But 523A2A still retains significant function when the phrase statement respecting the debtor's financial condition is interpreted to encompass a statement about a single asset. 
Husky International Electric versus Ritz. Second, Lamar asserts that Appling's interpretation is inconsistent with the overall principle that the bankruptcy code exists to afford relief to only the honest but unfortunate debtor. Cohen versus De La Cruz. The text of 523A2, however, plainly heightens the bar to discharge when the fraud at issue was effectuated via a statement respecting the debtor's financial condition. The heightened requirements, moreover, are not a shield for dishonest debtors. Rather, they reflect Congress's effort to balance the potential misuse of such statements by both debtors and creditors. See Field v. Manns. The decision is affirmed. Justice Sotomayor delivered the opinion of the court in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Kennedy, Ginsburg, Breyer, and Kagan joined, and in which Justice Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch joined as to all but Part 3B. Thank you for listening.